welcome to the Pemberley Podcast, where we discuss Jane Austen and historical romance adaptations. I'm Jillian. I'm Yolanda. Let's dive in with a quote from King George III's Ascension speech. Though his speech was written for him, he added this line himself. Born and educated in this country, I glory in the name of Britain. Very appropriate for today's episode as we will be covering the coronation. This week, we'll be discussing Queen Charlotte episode three. We'll talk about the end of Charlotte and George's honeymoon, the present day woes of our leading ladies, and Lady Danbury's grand ball. We'll also tell the real history behind King George and Queen Charlotte's coronation day, and did Mozart actually perform for Queen Charlotte? So a quick recap of the last episode. Charlotte and George's honeymoon got off to a rocky start when Charlotte had no idea why George was avoiding her. After finally completing the marital act, TM, Charlotte overhears George claiming he only did it out of obligation to produce an heir. And Lady Danbury wields her newly minted noble status to further establish herself and Lord Danbury in the ton. But how far can she push the great experiment? So let's start with our first big event. The honeymoon is over. Almost. So it is Coronation Day. It is a grand ceremony. It's a great show for the public. They wave, they smile, they hold hands, they kiss in front of the public, and they ride off in these beautiful carriages, and there's crowds and crowds of people. And the second, the second the door is closed, they swat each other's hands away like like two children of like, don't touch me. It's great. They like drop hands and she's like, get him out of my sight, get this crown off my head. Like I'm, I'm tired. I'm hungry. I'm all these things. They aren't fans of each other. And we know why Charlotte overheard, um, what she thought was some pretty honest dialogue about, you know, being bedded for the sake of the crown. And she's like, shoot, I don't have the relationship I thought I had with my husband. The two of them have come to an agreement. They will only have essentially conjugal visits on even days. (laughs) They're about to go separate ways and then they realize, oh, it is an even day. And so they go into one or the other's room and they have very passionate, passionate sex. And they hate each other, by the way, still. They hate each other and it is just all very passionate. And it's funny because, like, there's even moments where they're so mad at each other, but they're like, it is an even day. And then they are in the middle of dinner, and the staff, like, is like, wait, what's going on? And they're all like, shoo, get out of the room, get out of the room. So it feels like this poor staff is, like, at any given moment needing to flee the room to give them the privacy that they require. They are just going at it everywhere, anywhere, on even days only. This is my favorite. One of my favorite montages, I think, because it's like they're mad at each other, but I I so feel like they're only pretending to be mad at each other because, like, I think they kind of can't stand that they can't see eye to eye on things. Yes. This passionate distaste for one another is fueling their libido in such a (laughs) massive way that I kind of want, I wish we'd had access to a calendar in their time because I'm like, what do you want to bet some of the days are not even days? (laughs) And they just like show up and they're like, it's an even day. And, you know, I don't think George is going to say no as she's trying to take her nightgown off while he's resting in the bath. But it's, it's something to see. I do love the chaos of it. There's this very funny video creator on TikTok and 
and Reels who does these like Regency comedy videos. I think he's Bridey Bowie. And he did this video of like, it is an even day. And they're like, no, yesterday was the 31st. Today is the first. So it is both odd days. And he's like, no, we're changing the calendar. Today's the 32nd now. <laughs> we're going to make it an even day. <laughs> so I'm sure they were basically at that point too. I saw that too. And that's exactly how I think it was, <laughs> where it kind of didn't matter what day it was. It yes. was just uh, an even day regardless. So now the honeymoon is finally over, which now means Charlotte is free to attend events. So really her calendar is now available. She can book whatever she wants, but not really because the king doesn't want to be social. She is supposed to now be able to go out and go to the theater, go out to different events, but she can't go about this alone, I don't think. So she's trying to still figure out why doesn't the king want to be social? There's still like a big question mark for her over all of this and all his secrecy. So she finds out that he spends a lot of his time farming. He really enjoys farming. And she says, so you are Farmer George? And he's like, yeah, sure. I'm Farmer George, if that's how you want to understand it. So she's like, I don't get it. But sure, if that's what you like doing in your spare time, she still wants to have a relationship with her husband, but there's still just like a wall that he has up that she can't quite break through. But it's really sweet, though, at the end of it, because they do come to this consensus of like, no more even or odd days, we will just have days. Mm. So they're not just going to split their time of like, I will only see you this day or that day. It's now like, let's just disband all of that and just have our days. We're on the cusp of learning what George's secret is. Yes. But it's, you know, Charlotte kind of acknowledges that he's keeping something from her. She's willing to live with it because when he shows up, he's a really good husband. He's he's there for her. He's a real partner. Even if it means not having all the answers right away, she still wants to fight for that relationship with him. Yeah. I mean, you see a real progression throughout this episode where Charlotte at the beginning is very much talking like the teen she is. She's like, I hate his face. I hate his voice. I hate the way he breathes. He's gross. I hate him. I hate him. And by the end, like, I feel like they're actually making a step in the right direction as a real couple. They're not fully there yet, but it's at least progress or the idea of progress. It is. So with that, let's dive into the history behind the real Coronation Day. So this took place two weeks after their wedding on September 22nd, 1761. They started the procession at St. James's Palace to Westminster Hall in sedan chairs. So four people are carrying them on either side and they are in a chair. It is <laughs> it's very Cleopatra of them. Yes. I didn't know that they did this. It is enclosed. So it's like they're not in the sun, I guess. But then they did a two minute walk from the hall to the abbey. And because I don't know, I guess there were just so many people that two minute walk actually took them like over an hour. Wow. So the procession and ceremony were so long that they weren't crowned until 3.30pm. Getting a seat at this ceremony was the hottest ticket in town. There were galleries in the abbey and in the hall, which people bought tickets for. The best seats in the house were in the abbey, which were sold at 10 guineas. The currency was a gold coin, which no longer exists because it greatly fluctuated in value. Approximately, you have 11.2 pounds worth of gold in 10 guineas, 
10 guineas would be approximately 1,940 pounds or $2,415. Am I a jerk for thinking that's a really reasonable price? <laughs> I thought it was a lot. It's, I, I mean, I would never spend $2,000 for any single event. Right. But considering what Taylor Swift tickets are going for these days, <laughs> I'm like, what? So after the six-hour ceremony, there was a grand banquet. Coronation ceremonies then are not unlike today. So if you watched King Charles III's coronation, they pretty much keep to tradition. Did you watch that coronation? I did not. <laughs> <laughs> I would never watch this coronation. Yeah. Uh, I'll watch the next one. I'll, watch, I'll maybe watch the next one. We'll see what happens. I'll but. watch like an hour or the highlights. So that's some of the history behind the real royal coronation. So the second event of our episode takes us to the present day of Queen Charlotte slash Bridgerton universe. And the queen is still very distressed that none of her children have produced an heir. So many spinsters so little time. And it's really sad because we were talking about this a little bit last episode, but she's really like, how could this happen? I am one woman and I produced 15 royal children, legitimate heirs. How come the 15 of them can't cobble together one legitimate royal heir? It's interesting because here, like, she does ask Brimsley, like, why do you think I haven't been able to do this? Like, or why my children haven't been able to produce an heir? And it's a little sad because I think we see the beginnings, obviously, of like her and Brimsley's kind of work relationship then. And it really hasn't progressed. Like they're not like best friends or anything. He is still like the same status in the same role, which I'm like, that's kind of a bummer. But I guess, you know, he's like, he's fine doing the role he has. But either way, he does have insight. He's thinking because of the condition of her husband and because it's such a secret, he thinks that's why. If It would have been different if the king had died and then she would be able to move on. She would be able to more freely speak as the sole queen and go out and speak for really only herself she still is, is having to go out and speak for the king and herself. So he calls her like she is a queen frozen in time. She is still the king's queen. Because of the fact that she's a bit frozen in time, her kids are really wanting to be there for her. It's kind of going back to like her first days in this estate and in this newly queen status of she's surrounded by all these people but she's really alone because they all work for her it's and it's really sad because i think you know she's such a strong person and we see definitely how like the woman she is today like how that got started and i think it never occurred to her that she was so stuck. So it's almost like they've all been waiting for him to die. The Regency era is an 11 year era where the king was mentally incapacitated. He could not perform any of his regular duties, but he wasn't dead. He was actually in pretty good physical shape. I mean, he didn't die until he was in his 80s, which is really rare for this time. Yeah. He just wasn't himself. And that's a really long time to like not really be a widow. 
Yeah. It's so sad. We also see Lady Bridgerton and Lady Danbury run into each other at church. It is Edmund Bridgerton's birthday, so Violet is there to light a candle and reflect back on memories of her husband. And she's talking to Lady Danbury and she says, like, I remember making him hats. Like, he loved his birthday and we loved making that a big deal. And Lady Danbury says something that she knows what she means, but it is received in a in a very different manner. But Lady Danbury says, you are most fortunate. That does not sit well with Lady Bridgerton because later they clear it up. And what Lady Danbury meant is you are fortunate in that you have a husband that you loved and that you mourn with such happy and fond memories of him. I did not have that. Everything Lady Danbury did of educating orphans or doing all these philanthropic things was all in revenge against her husband. Everything that he believed in or was against, she wanted to be for. All her life has been trying to take away his legacy and build her own. Lady Danbury does not have the fondness of her husband as Lady Bridgerton will always have. She was so relieved when he died, because it finally meant that she had the space to be her own person. And she didn't have to just wait on him all the time. This sort of like happy family unit really starts with like that beating heart between the two parents. It's, it's just like, so interesting exploring these different dynamics, because I feel like Lady Danbury's marriage, it's like what a lot of marriages were at this time. Yeah. Like they weren't for love. They were for business, they were to produce children and heirs and all of these things. And it, it was never about how a couple felt about each other. And so we don't know all the details of Violet and Edmund's love, but it, it just she makes it sound so effortless and so yeah. easy. And even though Charlotte and George loved each other, it was not so easy. No, that's why I do hope Violet gets some kind of version of like a spinoff or something where we do see the beginnings of Violet and Edmund because it's just, it's so talked about and so built up as like this great love and like you just want to see like what was it like at the beginning. So I hope that we get that limited series at some <laughs> point. I do like seeing like the glimpses of the present day. I do feel like sometimes it takes us out of the past of Queen Charlotte. I don't mind it, but I also like, I'm just like, I want to see more of Charlotte and George. <laughs> I do too. I mean, this is our Godfather part two. Like, yeah. the action is in the past. And I'm sad for your succession crisis. Yes. I really, I feel for you. But it is not nearly as interesting as what is happening back there in the 1700s. Yeah. We wanted to take a quick break to shout out a brand and their products that we really enjoy and think you will too. Well Read Company makes products perfect for all book lovers. Their selection of bookworm gifts and literary accessories will have people complimenting you every time you wear it. They have handbags that look like books, including titles like Emma, Sense and Sensibility, Pride and Prejudice, and other literary classics. You can get 10% off your purchase by using our exclusive code with no spaces, the Pemberley Podcast. They ship worldwide, including USA, Canada, and Europe. Visit their website at wellreadcompany.com to browse their products and follow them across social media at wellreadco. Now back to the show. So in the main Bridgerton series and in now in Queen Charlotte, we've had two instances of Queen Charlotte mentioning Mozart as someone that she knew and 
performed for her and we actually see Mozart performing for the, the queen here. So did he actually perform at the palace? Queen Charlotte and King George III loved music and regularly held concerts at their royal residences. Charlotte was passionate about supporting new and established musicians, and she even played the harpsichord. In 1764, eight-year-old Mozart and his sister played for the king and queen, so yes, that part was very real. Their father wrote a letter about this to their landlord saying, the graciousness with which both His Majesty the King and Her Majesty the Queen received us cannot be described. In short, their easy manner and friendly ways made us forget that they were the King and Queen of England. So it's nice to hear that they were like, nice kings and queens. <laughs> so then later, Mozart published six sonatas dedicated to the queen, which in turn, he was given a present of 50 guineas. I probably could have done the conversion here, <laughs> but you know, it's a lot of money. So. It's more expensive than seeing the coronation. Exactly. I'll read a snippet of his dedication in French. Mozart's read, to the queen, madam, full of pride and joy, at daring to offer an homage to you. I finish these sonatas in order to lay them at the feet of your majesty. Your virtues, your talents, your benefactions will forever live in my memory. Wherever I live, I shall consider myself your majesty's subject. I am, with the most profound respect, madam, your majesty's very humble and very obedient little servant. So that, I mean, he had a great fondness for the queen. Obviously, they both made such a great impression on him. She was a great advocate for music and new musicians. So I feel like she also, in having him perform for her, spread the word about him to the world. So let's go into the final event of this episode, which is Lady Danbury's Ball, which at the beginning of this episode is technically not going to be happening, but it definitely happens by the end. Even though Princess Augusta thinks Lady Danbury is her spy to find out the second Charlotte is pregnant, Lady Danbury is not giving her information. She's not actually going to tell all of Charlotte's secrets to her. One of the big things that happens is Lord Danbury is like, you need to ask her that we should host a ball. Like, we should be the first ones to host something. Lady Danbury doesn't feel like that's not my place to ask. I can't ask that. And eventually, I mean, she kind of gets to this point where she's like, you know what, I'm just gonna do it. So she sends out all the invitations, but she finds out all the ladies in waiting are not going to be attending. And it even gets to the point where Princess Augusta asks her to cancel. So this is clearly where the great experiment has limitations. She decides, I mean, it's, it's really hard for her and I totally understand because I'd rather die than ask for anything from anyone. <laughs> She realizes the only way to make her ball the event of the season is to convince the queen and king to attend her ball. And that's really hard because the king doesn't attend any balls. Yeah. He just doesn't do that. And the queen is new here, so she hasn't done that. She pulls Queen Charlotte aside and is like, please, please, please come to my ball. Charlotte does not yet see... She doesn't see the great experiment. Like, this has not been her fight. She's been off in Germany, living her best life. She's come here, and she's so busy thinking about how do I fit in here? I need a relationship with my husband. How do I, you know, secure my position? That's something she learned, like, a couple days into the job. Yeah. And so she doesn't know that, like, this integration experiment is something that she needs to contribute to, is something that she 
should fight for and that there are people she needs to be sticking up for. It is below her. I mean, that's something that like Lady Danbury brings to her. She's like, I know that this isn't like your issue. And even Charlotte is like, why are you bringing me this? This to me, because like, if you're talking to Princess Augusta, it seems like like you've already got it handled between her. But the reason she's like escalating it to the queen is because her ball could be shut down. And she's like, this is easily where this whole experiment could end for us beyond the titles, beyond the estates. Like, we're not fully integrated yet. And you could impact that. You know, she has her ball, and we kind of don't really have an official answer. Like, we don't know if if they're going to make it. But, you know, in the middle of dancing, Queen Charlotte and King George arrive. The ball is officially a success. It kind of reminds me of, like, the wedding scene in Crazy Rich Asians, where, like, the grandma doesn't go to events. And then Gemma Chan's character walks in with grandma as her date. And so people are talking about how, oh my gosh, she got the grandma to come to this event? Well, part of the wedding, too, is that King George actually sent, doubtful that he actually sent it, but he sent, like, letters to the invites of, like, you should go to this ball. So that's what convinced everyone, like, oh, okay, if if they're going, like, I have to go, too. So no one's going to miss a ball that the king and queen are at. Exactly. So it's a a major success. Post-ball, I mean, George and Charlotte are undressing afterwards, and he was like, oh, my gosh, like, we just did more for like England's advancement than in the last several hundred years, like in one evening. And yeah. he's like, so in awe of Charlotte and so in love with her. And it's it's a great moment between them. Then we also see Lord and Lady Danbury. They are together. <laughs> they're, they're in their bedroom. And it is in the middle of that act when Lord Danbury just falls down and dies. Croaks. So... She quickly leaves the room and her lady's maid is like, I'll get the bath going. And she's like, no, 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 there's no more baths. We're never going to have to do that ever again. And they quietly have like their celebration of like, yay. She goes back in. The lady's maid like rings the alarm and is like, he's dead. Like, quick, call for the doctor. Call. Like they put on their act. She's really playing up that part of like, my husband, oh no. So they are both excited about what this means because now- Lady Danbury is free. We don't see the, the how that plays out just yet, but it is the going to be the beginning of something new for her. I love this moment so much because she's not freaked out about no. it like I would. She just kind of like looks over him, checks, and is like, it finally happened. Like she's, yes. she's been praying for this day. She's yeah. like had an invisible unknown day like this circled on her calendar, I think, <laughs> as soon as she has married this guy. And I'm just kind of like, wow, Lady Danbury, he's dead and she's still playing the part of the devoted wife. Yeah, she knows how to play the part. It's I, it's all very rehearsed. It's all very rehearsed. <laughs> like this scene especially, like I feel like they've planned for this. Maybe they've fantasized about, the, about it. They've talked about it, what they would do and how they would react. And now it's here. The aftermath of that, though, will be very different, I'm sure. That's the part she has not yet rehearsed for. How could one even rehearse for that? Yeah. I, I feel, and we're going to, it's going to be great in a, a couple of episodes, but yes. we're really going to learn like what this marriage has done to her, made her, the way she's made her think and act. And and I'm excited to see the post-Lord Danbury, Lady Danbury. Yeah. So also that night after the ball, Charlotte and George, they are very happy. And Charlotte, though, wakes up in the middle of the night and she's looking around for George and she finds him and he is mumbling and drawing on the wall. This is now where the veil drops, the wall is broken, and she is now seeing George for who he truly is. 
this is the secret that we have been waiting to be revealed. And this is what she has been waiting to like figure out. She's felt like, is it me? Am I going insane? And like, is, is something wrong? Like there's clearly something that no one is telling me and I need to know what it is. So he is like madly drawing on the wall and like drawing like this whole like planet and diagrams and things like that. And she tries to approach him and then he like rushes out to the garden. She follows him where he then takes off all his clothes and he's yelling out to the sky for Venus. In a very like smart and quick moment, Charlotte really levels with him and is like, I am Venus. Like I'm I'm here now. I was in the sky, but I'm here with you now. So come on, Farmer George, like come with me back inside. And so they're able to like get a cover for him and he goes inside with her. But now she's like, ah, this is now the truth. Essentially, the only people who know about the king's state is his mother, Reynolds, and any doctors that have seen him over the years. Yes. Which, who don't matter. But they've kept it from all the servants, and they've been keeping it from the queen. And so there's finally this moment where she sees what it is that he's been hiding, and Reynolds is like, we need to keep this hidden. He accidentally broke his promise because, you know, George had a moment when, after he was yelling at his mother, where he broke and yeah. Reynolds was like, the queen shall never know. And they thought they could keep this up, but it's obviously for the best that she learns about this. And I, yeah. I don't even think she's half as mad of the fact that like he has this disorder, but that it was kept from her. That like Reynolds knew about it, just sort of kept that from her for as long as, you know, it's been weeks at this point. It's been yeah. weeks. I just wonder, like, do they really think that they could keep this up for, like, ever? <laughs> Maybe they thought, like, we're just gonna, or they thought, you know, eventually it's going to come out and we will deal with it then, but we don't know when that is, so we're just going to push that as far as possible, but clearly it didn't last very long. I'm glad that Charlotte finally has her answer, and it's going to be a journey to accept that answer. But I think she is also hurt of, like, why wouldn't you trust me with that information? I get it on their side, because, like, she could easily then, like, run away and rush off and run into the town and be like, help, help, save me from the king sort of thing, and that would be a greater scandal. But I don't know. I think she is far more mature than they expected, so she could handle it. Like, to this day, we don't know what King George's, like, diagnosis is. Like, scientists have theories, but back then they certainly didn't know. Now we don't know. And all that mattered was keeping this quiet, because if the king was declared insane, they couldn't rule England anymore. Right. The drama goes straight to the top here. Yes, definitely. So it is a new phase in their relationship now that is really going to take off in future episodes. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week as we discuss Queen Charlotte episode four. In the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and support us on Patreon at The Pemberley. And you can email us with any questions or comments at thepemberleypodcast at gmail.com.